Hello again, and welcome to Our Power is Within. I'm your host, Chasma, aka Just Chaz. And I am on a mission to inspire people to take their power back and realize that each and every one of us has a healer within our own self. When we can create an environment that supports healing and get out of our own way, we are truly capable of healing in mind, body, and soul. For those of you that are new to the show, welcome and thank you for being here. And for those of you who have been following along for some time now, I thank you so much for your continued support. If you would like to help me spread this message, some simple ways of doing this are leaving a review on Apple Podcast or a rating, sharing an episode with a friend, and even sharing your favorite episode on your social media and tagging me at our power is within on Instagram. How did last week's meditation challenge go? Were you able to give yourself that five minutes per day or was that a challenge? I really hope you were able to and I hope you reaped the benefits and felt the benefit of that, um, that gift to yourself. For this week's challenge, which will make a lot more sense to you after you hear from our guest today, I'm going to encourage you to spend five accumulated minutes every day for one week humming or vocal toning. So you could do this all at once for five minutes, or what I like to do is I just like to do it throughout the day for a minute here, a minute there, or honestly, when I really feel like I need something to help ground me or bring me back to um, like a balance. So humming can be natural, like, you know, just natural, like (laughs) humming to songs or music. Humming can also be experienced through taking nice deep inhales, followed by humming your exhale. Vocal toning can be deep inhales followed by different vocal sounds like ah, e, a, om, and as uh, Sarah will demonstrate later on, vu, v-o-o, vu, or ooh, which you will learn, like I said, more from here, more from her <laughs> about this, um, the omen vu shortly. So as you're doing this, my suggestion would be to pay particular attention to how it makes you feel and then the subtle shifts in your body. Use this experience to be a curious observer and notice what feels really juicy or what helps you feel really calm and connected. Asks, um, ask yourself questions like, can you feel the vibration in your belly or your head or your throat? And just notice, play with it, make it fun, because who doesn't want more silly, playful, fun ways to incorporate into our lives, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So try that out. Let me know how it goes. If something feels really good, just do more of that and uh, experiment and play. So our guest today is Sarah Baldwin. She is absolutely amazing, you guys. She's a beautiful soul inside and out, and I feel so honored to have had an opportunity to speak with and learn from Sarah. She is so nurturing in her approach to teaching us about our nervous system and explaining why and how we work the way we work and teaching us that no matter what, we actually always make sense. She teaches us how so often when we are stuck in fight, flight, or freeze, it was, it's simply a coping mechanism that our body established in order to do its best to keep us safe. She can explain this all so much better than me, you guys. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, let her explain it more in detail. Today, she also gives us some really practical and wonderful tools for self-regulation. And I want to share that since my chat with Sarah, I have been really trying to notice how my autonomic nervous system feels and practice implementing her one tolerable step at a time tool. 
I really feel like this practice has helped me to begin to develop a much deeper relationship with myself and just understanding of how and why I work the way I do. And it's been a really cool process. Um, Sarah has a group program that opens up for enrollment soon, as well as her first self-guided program that releases in February. And I cannot wait to learn more about this. So let's go ahead and welcome Sarah to the show so that you can experience her nurturing wisdom for yourself. And don't forget to follow her on Instagram so that you can learn more about your nervous system through all of the wonderful free content she shares all the time. All right, you guys, I have Sarah on the show today. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here with you and your listeners. Well, I am excited and I think they will be too once they get to hear um, everything we get to talk about today. So I do think to start it off, just because I know I'll have some people who might not be familiar with your work, I'd love if you could maybe share a little bit about um, who you are and what got you into your style of coaching. Sure. Um, I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner. Uh, That is a a trauma healing modality created by Peter Levine, who's really a pioneer in in the field of trauma healing, uh, therapeutic work. Um, And it's been in existence for about 45 years now. It's one of the premier um, uh, trauma healing interventions, along with sensory motor therapy, EMDR, and polyvagal approaches. So um, I do that work. I also am a um, polyvagal informed and certified by the Polyvagal Institute. And I also teach there. That is um, someone named Stephen Porges um, and Deb Dana's Institute. And if you've, for any listeners who've heard um, the term polyvagal theory, which has kind of become a bit of a buzz term, or word or, or phrase, um, he is the um, the the creator and um, the uh, scientist who brought that work into existence for us. And Deb Dane is the clinician who brings it to other clinicians and then to uh, folks like all of us to to begin using this work. So I do um, both of those things. I'm also uh, trained in uh, psychodrama and assist Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote a really great book called The Body Keeps the Score, and his wife, um, Leisha Skye, um, who is a really wonderful embodiment um, uh, clinician. And, um, and I'm also, years ago, went through Martha Beck's um, coaching program. So that's a little bit um, about the work that I do with folks and individuals. And really, it's learning how to, from an embodied way, come out of self-protective states that are creating the stuckness we're experiencing because the parts don't yet know that if we are in safety, that we are safe to be present and step into um, the lives we're really wanting. So if I could kind of succinctly say that. Um, And then what brought me to this work is really my own healing journey. I uh, come from a complex trauma history um, in my childhood of um, sexual abuse and neglect and, um, and lots of other things and, and found myself really in, in um, these real chronic self-protective places of dissociation. So that, that simply means not being present in our, in our bodies at all um, and shut down and depressed and hopeless and really stuck. Um, and so my own healing um, navigating the journey of it, which can be trying. And, and I spent so much, so many years in traditional psychodynamic therapy, which is really helpful. That's, that's traditional talk therapy. And yet the more I gained an understanding, um, I also found that that didn't actually get me fully unstuck in the ways that I needed, meaning I understood cognitively that I was safe in my life now. I was living in California, not in New Hampshire, where I was from. I understood that. I understood that I was safe to step towards the things I was wanting, but this invisible thing was getting in the way and was ex- and was creating stuckness. And that's where um, somatics comes in and also our autonomic nervous system. So anyway, my own healing led me to become trained in this field and 
spent many years doing that. And, and here we are together here today. That's awesome. You have a really diversified background. Yeah, thank you. I think it's important to have have a real diversified um, toolbox when we're addressing healing because it's it's much more like um, watercolor than paint by number. And so it's so important to have lots of different things to pull upon depending on where each of us are at in our experience. And there's no one way, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I always say on here that there's not a one size fits all answer because we're so, I mean, as humans, we're so dynamic and there's, we all have such a different story and perception and upbringing and traumas. And I mean, the combination of everything that makes us, us is so unique that there, there, there needs to be a wide um, option of tools to help us guide and navigate that journey. Absolutely. That's so beautifully said. Yeah. How, how, um, how unique we all are and depending on where we are in our journey too, what might resonate and what might not. So I I really love what you just said. Thank you. What is psychodrama though? I've actually, I've heard of everything else, but I am very familiar with the, um, that author and I've read that book, but what is psychodrama? Hmm. So psychodrama, um, is an, I'll try to succinctly explain it. So it's an experience um, of usually there's about um, 10 to 12 participants and um, and we each take turns um, actually playing roles for one another um, and, and it kind of works like this where um, I'll give the example of working with Bessel. So he or, or Leisha will be, will be leading it. And um, me as a participant, I'll just say I'm the participant, I would be um, sitting in front of either of them. And my goal is, how can I go back to um, an embodied experience of what it was like to be with those other people who may have have harmed me in some way. And in that experience, instead of being powerless, where I wasn't able to use my voice, I wasn't able to get them to move away from me, I wasn't able to fight back, that in this experience, I am able to. So we're really working at the level of the psyche, meaning the subconscious, um, and um, and helping to support a... Um, really writing a new embodied experience for ourselves um, in our psyche. So it's very deep work. Uh, I'll give you an example. I may have, let's say I'm talking um, as the as the participant. I'm saying, I really want to work today on some sexual abuse that happened to me as a child. And so I might start saying, yeah, I had this mother who didn't really protect me. And I had this um, person who was really harming me. So then the 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 clinicians leading would say, well, what if we got your mother in the room right now? And I would pick a participant, a fellow participant, to play the role of my mother. Mm-hmm. And then the clinician leading it would say, okay, so if you could say something to your mother, what would you want to say? And what's really fascinating is we have the capacity to really dip into and go back to those experiences and and rewrite them and make them different. And then a second component that's really powerful is we get to give ourselves ideal parents. So we also enroll people whom will play the role of an ideal mother who, who, let's say, protected me rather than neglected me and didn't keep me safe. And it might sound a bit cognitive as I'm describing it, but it's an absolutely embodied experience where we're um, really going into these subconscious parts. And so feeling into what's it like to have a safe parent sitting next to me and maybe holding me and the clinician giving that, that, um, that, that ideal parent words to say that I never heard, like, I'll keep you safe or um, nothing, no one is going to harm you. I'm not going to allow for that. And can I take in the embodied experience? And so what happens then is think of it like we've encoded a new experience into our brain and our body. And now my brain into my body has my holistic experience. Experience. I now have this new um, 
platform or a new foundation for what it's like to have connection. And I get to complete incomplete experiences, meaning I get to actually fight back in this situation instead of going into collapse. So it's uh, really deep work, um, embodied work. And Bessel talks, talks about it in depth in his book, The Body Keeps the Score Too. Yeah, for some reason I don't remember that, but I read it a long time ago. And yeah, in yeah. between, and in sense, yeah. then I probably read hundreds of other for books. Sure. Um, yeah, I love this. It reminds me. Well, there's like a couple things happening. Is one I can't think of the name right now. It's a, it's like a bunch. It's an it's a bunch of letters. It's like ITDSP or ITSD. I can't think of it, but it's a specific type of therapy. And Dr. Schubiner talks about this. Um, to use very similar reminds me of, um, what you're saying to actually go back and, you know, step into your power and to say and do and stand up for yourself in the way perhaps you didn't get to, um, as a form of releasing the emotion. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I, so that reminds me of that. And then I love the other component that, you're also doing the role playing of having the parent or the person that was there to create the story that would have supported you. Yes. Um, We do that in brain retraining through visualizations. We go into, you know, you, you know, you can go back into a memory that you want to have and create it. And you literally do get to write your whole story that way because the brain doesn't, realize or know the difference of a made up or real experience. Right. Right. It's why, it's why trauma is timeless and it's not an experience of the past. It's an experience of the perpetual here and now until it's healed because our system, when, when, when something is activated, like a past trauma, it's just as real now as when it happened. And we do have the capacity to come into embodied experiences that are, safe and and create those in a real marinated way that our system then stores as new experience. Yes, that's awesome. So do you feel this is something that somebody would only be able to do with a like a coach or do you feel like if they had a trusted friend they could essentially still create this experience because I imagine Gosh, that takes a lot of vulnerability to have those experiences with a group of people. Yeah, so psychodrama is a um, a more um, hmm, how do I want to say this? It's uh, it's really going to the to the heart or core of something, and we can do it in so many other ways too. So in my practice, when I'm working with folks, um, I'm doing lots of embodied inner child work which is very similar in it we go at the we always want to go at the rate that um the slowest part is ready to go and what i mean by that is this we have so many parts within us meaning we have young parts we have defensive parts we have protector parts um we have teenage parts you know all kinds of parts and if my two-year-old part or four-year-old part is saying i don't It doesn't feel comfortable for me to be hugged or held because I don't know that. But my adult part is cognitively saying, yeah, but I really want to be hugged and held. So I should be okay with this. Well, if we push beyond what the the part that is least ready, if we push beyond where they are, um, what happens is the protective parts clamp down even stronger. So um, as I'm doing parts work with people, I'm always focusing on, How does that feel for that young part of you? Does that young part want to share right now? What do you notice as you just did share or let that part be seen? Do they feel a need to to crawl under the covers or pull away? And we want to allow for that instead of pushing beyond what Dan Siegel calls our window of tolerance, what Deb Dana calls our ladder of tolerance. Um, Because our autonomic nervous system or the protective nervous system in our body, which creates the stuckness we experience and also a lot of the pain we experience, its purpose is to keep us alive and safe. It's always working on our behalf. And it it will, if it has to choose between the relationship we really want, stepping into purpose, being seen, all of these things, or keeping us alive, it will always choose that. 
And um, so we just want to work at a pace that's tolerable. When it comes to um, being supported on our journeys, I fully believe that we all need support in shepherding our systems home to ourselves. And support can be a lot of things. Support might be working with a clinician, um, a practitioner, a therapist, um, doing modalities like yoga, qigong, are incredibly helpful and supportive in the healing journey, uh, being with animals, being in nature. What I would invite folks who aren't currently working with someone to do is, can I see if I can tolerate moments of presence? Moments of presence. Presence means my system is in the here and now. I'm not somewhere else. So it might be something as simple as looking out a window and can I just notice the wind moving through um, a branch of a tree? Or if I'm petting my dog, can I really be present to what it feels like to be touching their fur and what does that feel like on my hand? Um, because the experience of trauma is a disembodiment and our work is to come back to embodiment, back to presence. Mm. Yeah, and I love it because those are, they're simple. I mean, maybe for some people I'm realizing like it might not be that easy, but even just being so aware and actually asking yourself and tapping into that, you know, if I can just be with those moments. Yeah, absolutely. So you're saying when you're doing the embodied um, inner child work, you are go in with the slowest part of us. And that's in a sense to not exasperate or dysregulate the nervous system more, right? You want to kind of match it and not take it over the edge or have it send you into a, like a deeper state of fight, flight, or freeze. Yes, exactly. So, so, um, as I mentioned, our autonomic nervous system is one of the most powerful parts of our um, our beings. Every mammal has one, and it's the reason we've been able to evolve and 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 um, be here today. In in really um, such a primary part of that. So, just to really quickly explain this thing called our autonomic nervous system, it has there's many parts to it, and I like to call this our protective nervous system. So it begins with something called our threat detector, and that's in our brainstem. It's coined neuroception by this man named Stephen Porges. So think of it like, in terms of a threat detector, its job all day is to suss out cues of, of danger or safety. It works in a millisecond. So how it decides or distinguishes what's safe and what's dangerous is my past experience primarily, and also evolutionary responses. So. Let's say in my past, um, vulnerability wasn't safe because when I was vulnerable, I was laughed at in school. Or intimacy isn't safe because my caregivers harmed me and um, abused me in some way. Or when I was vulnerable, they would um, use that against me in some way. So those experiences, whatever they are, they get stored in this receptacle. And so we grow up and now we're in our adult lives. And by the way, this doesn't have to be just childhood experiences. It's also adult experiences. And our threat detector goes to that database that it has of past experience to decide what is safe or not. So if in the past people were really dangerous, then neuroception, any time it sees um, the possibility for belonging or me stepping towards that, it's going to say that's dangerous. It's dangerous because in the past it was dangerous. So for folks listening whom, let's say you are really ready to step, you're wanting, there's a part of you who wants to step towards the relationships in your life that you really want, or step into your purpose and receive and be seen and known and heard. And yet there's this invisible part that keeps getting in the way. And that invisible part is this self-protective circuit. So, and oftentimes the things we want most in life were cues of danger in the past. So we get in this predicament where we're wanting to step towards this thing and neuroception says that's dangerous the moment I think about stepping towards it. So when it sees a cue of danger, it comes to our aid in the form of active self-protection. And there's a this is an intricate system and I'm going to try to explain it succinctly and as, as I can and, and um, simply is that it comes to our aid first 
in this in something called our sympathetic nervous system. This is our state of mobility where our, my system is saying, let's say, and I'm going to use an example of evolution I, or when we were hunting and gathering. Let's say I'm on the Sahara, I'm um, hunting, and then I see, a, I think I hear a lion in the distance. Well, my system is my threat detector is going to say, that's dangerous, to which will respond my autonomic nervous system and saying, whoa, we have to fight or flee because it's far away. I think I might be able to run away from it. So I go run, 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 run. But the line gets closer and closer and closer. So I wasn't able to outrun it. I'm also not able to fight it. So then my beautiful autonomic nervous system says, okay, we have some other options. We can go into freeze, which is I have so much energy on the inside, but I'm frozen on the outside. Maybe if I just don't move, I'll be able to evade the threat. That's one option. The other option is our self-protective state that we go into only when there's life-threatening danger called our dorsal vagal complex. When I am here, I am in immobility or shutdown collapse. This beautiful response that we have, we go to for two reasons. Because if I'm going to be eaten alive by this lion, wouldn't it be wonderful if I don't have to feel the pain of it? And that's a beautiful response we have. We, we can literally leave our body, leave our experience so we don't have to feel the pain. So if we had in childhood a home we couldn't leave, we also couldn't fight back, um, oftentimes we'll resource this beautiful dorsal vagal complex and we experience it as low energy, fatigue, hopelessness. Our, our prefrontal cortex doesn't work when we're here so we can feel really blank. We can feel really separate from others alone in the world, lacking agency. I just can't do it. I can't do anything. Um, all the way down to dissociation where I'm not in my body at all or I don't recognize the person in the mirror. I don't remember today. So, so those three options of self-protection we all have. And when we have trauma that's stored, trauma is just an overwhelm of energy in our bodies. When that's stored, it is relived over and over. And so my system oftentimes gets stuck in one of these places, either in that shutdown place or in that mobilized place where I have so much energy and that's where anxiety, frustration, worry, rage, terror, all panic, uh, anxiety all live, or I get stuck in that shutdown place, or I get stuck in that freeze place. Um, so that I really believe that that is why anyone is stuck. That's really the reason that we feel unhappy in our lives, separate, etc. And then lastly, just what I want to say is correlating our thoughts in terms of polyvagal theory. So important to understand that the latest re research shows us that our state creates our story. That means that the autonomic state I'm finding myself in will be a direct is directly related to the thoughts I'm thinking. So if I'm in that sympathetic mobilized state where I've got all this energy, I'm self-protective, I have to do something. I have I'm going to have racing thoughts. They're going to be about how um, there's not enough time. The world is against me. The person in front of me is certainly against me. I have to do something now. I have to control this situation. And I liken it to each state having its own like lawyer, let's say. It's got a strong lawyer who works really hard. And that lawyer's job is to convince us of why what it's saying is true. It's trying to keep us in that self-activated state. It doesn't want us to come out of that self-protected state. So the thoughts are gonna match. Now, if I'm in dorsal, I have my own dorsal lawyer. That's the shutdown state. So that lawyer is gonna say things like, I can't do it. It's never gonna change. This is hopeless. I'm all alone. Um, it's never gonna get better, etc." That's the flavor of that lawyer. And if we can come into what's called our ventral vagal complex. This is my state of safety. If I can build my capacity to be here, the lawyer in that state matches. And that lawyer is gonna say things like, everything's okay, um, I have a, everything I need in, in, you know, to step towards the things I'm wanting. Um, we feel enough when we're here. We feel lovable, good, etc. So when I, gave those seemingly simple examples of being present, like petting your dog 
or being present to, you know, leaves moving through the trees. Um, what I'm doing is helping to evoke our capacity for being in that place of presence. And from that place, um, all of those activating thoughts go away. And we build new neural network and new neural pathway for um, ventral thoughts. So I, I know that was a bit long-winded, but I hope that makes sense. Oh, it makes so much sense. I love it. Um, so, okay. So do you think that that's why sometimes I've heard this before where sometimes if you make affirmations, there's so many people who support them and think they're good and other people who don't know that they work and, you know, mixed emotions. But if you make, I've heard like, if you make a blanket statement, that's actually not how you feel at a deeper level that it can actually almost do like cause a little bit more harm because it feels like so far from the truth subconsciously. Like if you don't feel safe and you're stuck in a, um, you know, sympathetic nervous system state and you say, I feel safe I, or not, I feel, but I am safe. I am safe. Could that activate anything or do you feel like it's harmless? So, um, it, it can certainly be more be activating. I wouldn't maybe use the word harmful, but, but what I would say is it doesn't support at all in us getting to that place. Think of it. As, so, so I'm going to give give an example in terms of doing parts work and also, well, I think it'll just be relation, relatable to people. So um, really common thing we hear parents say or caregivers say to kids all the time when a child is crying, they'll say, you're fine. I'm right here. You're fine. Stop. There's nothing to be scared about, right? What is the parent doing? Well, they're not attuning with that child's nervous system. They're not attuning to their experience. And that most certainly will not make a child feel fine by a parent saying, you're fine. That's not what they need. They don't need words. They need somatic attunement and connection. So what, we would, what I would want to do as that parent is to, let's say they said, I'm so scared of the dark. I'm so scared of nighttime. I wouldn't want to say, oh, come on, you're fine. You're in this house. The house is locked. There's nothing to worry about. Knock it off. I would get down on their level and I would allow my nervous system to greet theirs. Meaning I would be what I call is anchored in ventral. Meaning I'm not going to become just as dysregulated as that child and say, oh my gosh, you're totally right. We're not safe but I'm also not going to bypass their experience. So instead I'm going to be anchored in that, that state of safety, but I'm going to dip into my sympathetic state and say, Oh my goodness. I, it makes so much sense that you're feeling really scared. I really hear that. It makes so much sense in an embodied way. Um, I would begin to let my system attune with theirs and that fear and that, um, worry. And then I would ask them, what do you think might, support you and to feel to feeling a little bit different would it be helpful if we turn the light on you know we might do things like that would a hug be supportive what could we do to shift this for you to show your system that it's safe not tell it this work is embodied work is all about showing not telling and what would happen in that showing is that young part with that attunement, that young child would then begin to come into regulation. And so when we're doing parts work, it's so much less about the words we're saying to the young parts of us. It's about us somatically attuning to and greeting those parts and showing them that we're safe. Um, so so that's, that's really what we're wanting to be doing. I hope that's not too elusive in, in, in what I'm trying to explain. Not at all. I actually, I, I imagine that this is also applicable, this example for even an adult, right? Like, oh, for you know, sure. because we do this all the time with our friends, we think we're being supportive, and we're coming from a good place. But we're, we always, you know, somebody has something happen, and you want to say, it's okay, you're going to be fine, you're strong, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get through this. But that's, I'm seeing, like, I'm hearing what you're saying. And it almost feels like we could treat our adult, um, you know, friendships or family in the very same way you just explained this experience with the child. 
Absolutely. That's what we, that's what we're wanting to do. Can I hold space for you to be seen, known, and heard? Um, Peter Levine says, what, what we're really looking for, and these aren't his exact words, but in healing is an, is a mutually empathic witness, a mutually empathic witness. That means someone who can witness our experience, hold it with us and for us and validate it, help us to be seen and known and heard. And one of, in terms of the research, one of the primary reasons that trauma gets stuck and stored is because we didn't have that. When we have that, it allows our system to do what's called discharging the traumatic experience. So yeah, I would invite eat everyone listening to see how can I begin doing that for myself more? Like if my, if I'm feeling like really exhausted and, and burnt out or overwhelmed, can I hold space for that instead of trying to talk myself out of it? Like you'll have rest over the holidays or, Oh, it's not that bad. Can I instead make space for it and room for it and, and acknowledge my own experience for myself? Um, it's so important. Yes, I totally agree with you. My question is for, you know, how do I say this? I, I know that in my past, I've had this fear. And I know that in conversation, I've heard this fear expressed from other people, which is, if I were to do this for myself, how there's a fear sometimes of I'm going to stay stuck there. Because if I hold this space for this um, fatigue or for this pain or for this emotion? What if it becomes chronic or doesn't leave because I just keep holding space? So I think that a lot of us want to, the mindset is that we need to go into something else and shift ourselves so as to not have it become uh, something that becomes stuck. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes so much sense. And, and I guess the, 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 the thing I want to say is twofold. So that, that age old saying of what we resist persists is really mm -hmm. true. Um, and, and our, why I say it's so important for us to be supported on our journeys is because it's the job of a trained professional to be able to help us do what's called titrating. Think of titrating as a drip at a time instead of opening the floodgates. So if I'm, if someone has, um, you know, some traumas that have happened that feel really overwhelming to look at or even think about, it's really important to have a trained professional that can shepherd our systems and know, oh, I think that might be, as we're feeling into the emotion, that might be a little, that might be enough so that we don't get swept away by it. And what we're doing when we, when we work within what's often referred to as our window of tolerance or our ladder of tolerance, and I titrate, that energy gets to discharge and leave my body forever meaning there's healing that transpires. And then I have a little, a little more capacity to feel into that just a little bit more. So, um, so again, that's why I really um, talk often about the importance of, of um, gain, gaining support. If, if folks are interested, you can go to traumahealing.org. Uh, you'll find a database of thousands of um, somatic experiencing practitioners. You can also go to sensorymotortherapy.com um, to find others as well. But um, at, And I will say this, if there's things that feel less threatening or scary for our systems, then I would invite folks to see, can I just dip into it a little bit and then come out of it? So let's say it's, oh, I'm feeling, I'm noticing um, sadness come up over the loss of that friendship. So can I allow myself to spend even just five seconds feeling into that? And then can I allow myself to shift out of it by going for a walk and focusing when I'm on the walk, can I just stay present to every single tree I see or plant I see or whatever? Um, and that is doing a bit of that titration ourselves, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, 
Yeah, I definitely know firsthand the power of not resisting. I know both. I know both sides. The resistance and then realizing that it's actually you know, the, the resistance because the fear, it will linger. And it's, it's hard because in the, in this world, there's so much mixed information. And sometimes the, the information has a good message, but it can even be taken out of context or misunderstood. And so I think there's a lot of, um, I just hear often a lot of people who are really afraid of uh, feelings and thoughts because of, you know, you get this, oh, but it's a vibration and then I'll get stuck and there's emotional addictions. Like we hear all these terms and it gets into our head and then we start making these stories about it. So, yes. And, and I, I, I mean, I understand that certainly personally too, it's such a human experience that we, that we have. Um, And uh, I think it's, can be helpful to really reframe the way that we see this autonomic nervous system we have and that when we're in an actively self-protective state, so there's three of them, there's that sympathetic state of mobilization, the shutdown state of dorsal, meaning I don't have agency, that's where hopelessness, depression lives, and then that freeze state, which is I have so much energy on the inside, but I'm frozen on the outside. That That isn't a punishment it isn't something being innately wrong with us. It is something being in- incredibly right with us. And our system just doesn't know we're safe. So if you're finding yourself in one of those three places to anyone listening, that simply means your system doesn't yet know if you are in safety, that you're actually safe. And so we cannot, it's impossible to talk our way out of that because our autonomic nervous system doesn't understand a cognitive language because it lives in our bodies. So what does it mean? It needs disconfirming experiences of safety, meaning experiences that show me that I am safe. That's data for my system. So each time I'm able to feel the sun on my face and be present for it, that's no small thing. That's me showing my system in this moment I am safe, which then it stores as a disconfirming experience. And we get enough of those, then we can come into that vent what's called our ventral state of safety, where joy, connection, love, flow, creativity, abundance, all of those things live. So just just the last thing I want to say is that the spirituality world or self-help world, most of it, I, I get pretty fired up about this. It's not coming from any research. It's not coming from um, an understanding of trauma and this, this idea of like, oh, it's a low vibration or high vibration, whatever. The, the truth is that I'm either in self-protection or not. And if I'm in self-protection, that's, there's a reason I need to be there at one point. And how can I show my system that I can come into safety? So I just don't want folks to feel, oh, like they're doing something wrong or there's something wrong with them or to be weary about about any of this, um, because I think there can be so much of that. And when we talk about vibration and all of that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I love how you explain that because it is, it is true. We, it's like, even in the chronic pain world, it's like our brain is just honestly trying to keep us safe. It doesn't, I know it doesn't feel that way, you know, intellectually, but from a nervous system perspective, that's actually all that's going on. So subtle little ways to teach ourselves to feel that safety again, you know, is so huge. And I just want to, in terms of chronic illness, just to, to, to maybe humanize it a little that, that because of my trauma history, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia um, I, uh, Crohn's disease, colitis, so many other chronic fatigue, so many other things. And here's the thing, like if I have an autonomic nervous system that's running all the time, it's primer, it's, it's only goals to keep us alive, right? So what everything else goes by the wayside. If I'm in sympathetic for a really long time, we even have the capacity to eat our own muscle tissue for energy because our system is saying, all right, what's got to go? Well, we're not, we don't need muscle tonnage. Why? Because we're trying to stay alive. We also don't need that immune system because what, what do we need? Energy to stay alive. So everything else 
will go by the wayside besides keeping us alive, which will then in turn often create uh, disease in our bodies simply because our system isn't working in homeostasis because it's it's in overdrive. Kind of like if I drove a car for thousands and thousands of miles and never stopped to change the oil and you know give it rest, um, there would end up being issues. But the beautiful thing is, the more that we begin to regulate, our systems are so incredibly uh, capable that they, they will come back into homeostasis. And so, I, of course, I'm not an MD, but there is research linking um, uh, physical disease and illness to trauma responses and, and autonomic nervous system responses. And for me, I don't have any symptoms from any of those things anymore. Um, and that came from regulating my nervous system. So, so just want to say that too. Yes, absolutely. Um, when we basically get out of our own way, our body wants to be well, it wants to heal and it has the capacity to heal when it's like you said, not using all of its energy to keep us safe. Yes, exactly. So how, okay. So we have one thing that you've suggested, which is really getting into the present moment, allowing yourself these present moment experiences, even if they're momentary. And um, do you have other suggestions for how people can help guide themselves into um, that ventral state or just how to help them regulate their nervous systems if they are feeling that they're in a sympathetic place or, you know, they're experiencing the thoughts and feelings of the dorsal vagal um, system. Yes. yes, absolutely. So the first thing that I already mentioned is a tool called orienting. Orienting is using my external environment to help bring me back to the here and now. So a, a specific way, two ways that I like to use orienting are first using colors. So what I would invite folks to think about is, could I notice five colors uh, towards the north, south, east, and west of me? So that would be 20 colors total. And I know that might seem like a lot. It, it, it is a lot. And the goal is that as I do that, I'm looking, let's say I'm looking straight ahead of me, that's to the north. So I would name five colors that I see. So I'm doing that right now. And I'm noticing uh, like a milky white, a um, kind of seagrass, uh, a fog gray, a mahogany brown. As you can hear me saying that, I don't know if listeners can tell, but I'm really present to the color. Now, I could do it this other way, where I just say uh, brown, white, gray, and tan. I wasn't present for that. So that wasn't bringing my system into the here and now. And that difference is really important. So like I could drive my car down the street in my neighborhood and not remember how I got there because I wasn't actually present because my system already knows how to get there. So, so orienting using colors, but becoming really specific to them. That's one way to come into presence. The other way is what I call a wonder walk. So going on a walk and can I begin to see things as if I've never seen them before? Having that intention like, wow, what is it like to see this vibrant green color? Can I take that in an embodied way? Um, so those are external, using external, our external environment to help us regulate. And then what I'd invite folks to do is notice, is anything subtly different? Because within our sympathetic nervous system, let's say, that mobilized state, there is a wide range of experience from being a little worried to a little agitated all the way to terror and rage. So if I'm at, let's say that's a 1 to 10. So if I'm at like a 7 in terms of activation, I'm pretty activated. And then I do a regulating resource like that orienting. And now... I check in with my system and I have slightly less tension in my throat and my chest. It's not a gone, but it's slightly different. Let's say now I'm at a six in intensity instead of a seven. That is huge. That's, that's called a neural exercise, which builds our capacity to come into regulation. And that's how we reshape our nervous system. So I just want to be clear that we're not looking for like, wow, and I feel all better. Now, sometimes that'll happen, but not all the time. And that's not the goal. Um, and then a couple other quick things is that when we're in, um, 
that dorsal state of shutdown, our body doesn't want to move. Think of it like being in hibernation. So our work is, can I support just a little bit of movement? So when I'm there, might I be able to do some gentle stretching? Just seeing what is it like to feel my arms out to the side? What is it like to put them above my head? Um, tapping is a really wonderful resource, tapping on meridian lines. Um, making the sound ohm, but feeling the vibration in my um, the roof of my mouth um, and down my stomach and chest. That can be incredibly regulating and supportive. There's a sound that Peter Levine uses often that's so helpful. V-O-O. -O. I'll make it really quick for, for listeners. When I make this vibration, I want to just notice the feeling of the vibration in my chest, in my stomach. And we make it in a low register, so lower than my speaking voice. It sounds like this. And I would continue for three breaths. So that's very regulating. Um, when I'm in dorsal, it also can be supportive and also sympathetic, but supportive to connect with even watching a video of nature. Or if there's a TV show that I really love, can I watch that and connect to the characters? Because our nervous systems, if there's a character on a TV show that we're really invested in, our nervous systems experience that as if we know the character and that creates co-regulation, which supports our nervous systems to regulate. So there's lots of creative things that we can do to support our systems in coming just a bit closer to regulation. Um, just one more thing in sympathetic, our, that mobilized state, our bodies want to move. So we wanna actually help facilitate that. I wouldn't wanna tell my system, don't move um, because that'll create more activation. So if I'm at work and I'm feeling stressed out, my system wants to move. Well, I'm going to take a minute and even just walk around my office or jump up and down or shake my arms or dance or go for a run if possible or walk, um, etc. And, and then lastly, our systems always need context, choice, and connection to bring us into regulation. So I'd invite folks to think about do I not have one of those things right now? If I feel like I have no choice, then my system is probably going to go into active self-protection or dysregulation. If I don't have context, that's like if someone says to you in a text, we need to talk. There's no context around it. Like, why do we need to talk? Which can create activation. So how can I gain more context when I don't have it? Understanding of what's happening. How can I create more choice for myself? meaning empower myself to know I could do this now or later. And even though I do have to go to work today, could I take breaks throughout the day? Could I listen to my choice in music on my ride to work? Could I um, choose the order that I want to get things done, etc.? And then connection. Can I connect with nature, with animals, with another human, with a character in a TV show, etc.? Um, those are the three things that support our systems to regulate. Wow. This is so helpful. <laughs> um, so I think, okay, so you had a video and I think that's what you're explaining here. You, it was a video just recently you posted and it was about music, but you were talking about matching your state yes. to help you get into ventral or to help you actually get out of that state. And that was so new for me. Um, and I'm seeing the connection now. I can see how, okay, if I'm feeling this surge of anxiety and I try to just, oh, I'm going to go calm myself down. I see how that is, in a sense, I guess, resistance. And that's not matching the state I'm actually in. And you're saying, if you're feeling that surge of anxiety, to use that energy, just to use it differently so that it can actually support you. Yes. And... What, in terms of music, what I'm saying is we, our nervous systems need to be attuned with. Attunement means to be validated, seen, known, connected with right where we are. So think of it this way. Like if I'm feeling anxious and then I sit in a therapist's office and then they're like, or I'm with, I don't know, I'm at a meditation place and they are just going into their state of stillness, which is a blended state. And they're like, everything's fine. 
listen to this music that is going to help you to feel into stillness. I can even notice as I'm just doing that, that I'm getting more agitated, right? Because I'm not being met. And our nervous systems want to be met. So what we want to do is meet our nervous systems where they are. So if my nervous system is in sympathetic in that mobilized state, I want to listen to music that helps me feel less alone in that. That helps me feel known and validated and seen. And when I receive that, what ends up happening is it's what allows for and supports my system to then begin to regulate. That's the irony of it all. Or if I'm feeling that deep sadness, I want I don't want to listen to the Pharrell song Happy when I'm feeling, you know, hopeless and alone. I'm gonna feel total I'm gonna feel more alone because I'm gonna feel so misattuned with. So instead, I want to listen to a song that makes me feel understood and known from this autonomic place, which then will, in that feeling known, support me to come closer to, to regulation. So this also helps to really heal attachment stuff from, from our childhood experiences, if that makes sense. Yes. So this is perhaps why intuitively often, I mean, when I mean, I can think of this thousands of times as a child when you're kind of feeling melancholic or sad, and you actually do play that song that's kind of sad because yeah. you feel connected. You feel, yeah, you feel like when you, I mean, that's the powerful part about music is when you listen to people's, the, you know, the singer's lyrics, you feel like you're not alone, like they understand you, that they're going through it too. And I always thought, before, oh, how interesting, like you're listening, you know, I'm listening to sad music when I'm already sad, but you're, you're right. Most of the time it always actually makes you feel better. Yes. And it's what our primary childhood caregivers were supposed to do with, with us and often didn't have the capacity for. Right. And if our childhood caregivers, when we felt angry, had enough capacity to hold our anger and say that anger makes sense. I am with you in that. I, that isn't okay. That wasn't right. Yes, I'm validating that. And I'm also letting my nervous system meet yours. Um, what happens is we get to have what's called a secure attachment um, in our adult lives. And we can also come back to that, by the way, if we didn't have that. And it also helps us to regulate. So in in music, using music, as you mentioned, um, we innately know what we need. I think that's so cool. You know, as a kid, like you're saying, oh, I listened to this music because it, it really supported me to feel understood when I didn't feel understood in other areas. Like how incredible that our systems know what they need. We just need to uh, show them the way. Um, but yes, that's exactly what I was meaning. And, and you just gave such a beautiful example of it. Oh, that's so awesome. And it makes me think how, Yes, we, I knew it intuitively, but you know, again, you get kind of lost in sometimes information and then you get to this place where it's like, oh wait, I need to go elevate my mood right now rather than just supporting, you know, yes. what is, yeah, oh, that's so awesome. I just had a huge light bulb moment. <laughs> so hopefully people listening will too. <laughs> so in some way. Yeah, because I mean, definitely, I know too, it's so dependent on our personality types, but if you have at all any kind of perfectionism, and then you're, you know, you're the type of person that puts a lot of pressure on yourself, and then you're on this healing journey, a lot of times that pressure can be really counterproductive, because now you're even pressuring yourself to feel a certain way, to be a certain way, and it's going against, in a sense, what you're saying about, um, attuning and matching and helping with the regulation. Yes, exactly. Yes. Wow. That's good. I love it. So we have lots of things, um, that are really good tools for people to play with on their own and experiment with. And I really did love how you mentioned it's not about feeling completely better. It's about feeling a little noticing just any change. Yes. And I think that's really powerful to also just bring more awareness into our presence in general, tapping in, touching, 
you know, touching base with ourselves and, and checking, having those little check-ins and being able to notice those subtle changes and nuances. Yes, because they're, they are really what leads to our nervous systems becoming regulated and us spending more time, um, in that state of safety. And when we're there, we are safe to bring into our lives all the things that we're wanting and deserve and can have and have the capacity to have. Because if each of you listening have been able to adapt and find a way to get you to where you are currently in your life, you most certainly have the capacity to show your system that you are safe to come into presence and the life that you're meant to be living. Um, And that's true for everyone. Absolutely. 100%. (laughs) Okay. So we're talking about when we do get stuck in a dysregulated autonomic nervous system state, but just to be clear for those listening, we can get unstuck from the chronic state, but it is also very normal as humans having human experiences for us to move through these different states regularly rather than assume we will always be in ventral, right? So um, yes, to clarify, it isn't biologically possible to spend all of our time in ventral, nor would we want it. This, This evolutionary adaptive system we have is meant to keep us safe. Isn't it cool that even if the adults around us as children weren't able to give us the safety and attunement we needed, that we could find a way internally? Um, I just think that's remarkable. And, you know, when there's real threat in my life, it is really important that I can access these different states. So yes, the goal isn't that we are spending all of our time in this ventral state of presence. Our goal is that I am the active operator of my nervous system. That means that I am in the driver's seat. I have control and capacity to bring myself back to ventral when I've gone into self-protection, if I'm in safety. So um, that's what our goal is. Mm, Yes, absolutely. I love it. And I'm glad that we clarified that because I can just see some of us, you know, feeling like, oh, something's wrong with me if I can't stay here. But we're having human experiences. There's letdowns and challenges and things that hurt and are sad. So it's very normal for us to... And I think what you're saying is this goal of being in the driver's seat, it just makes sure that we don't get stuck in that chronic state again. Yes. And at any moment, I know where I am and I have tools and agency to help me shift my experience. And... And I really want to, again, reiterate, there is no such thing as a small shift. If I could go from, wow, I felt so shut down a little bit ago that I couldn't even think, because when we're deep in dorsal, it will be that way, or I can't speak. And now I'm able to say out loud to my friend or partner that I feel exhausted or tired. That is a huge shift. That's not small. Or if I'm in sympathetic and I'm noticing so much tightness and and I, I just can't sit still. And then I did some orienting or I did that voo sound or I went for a run and I'm still anxious, but now I don't feel like I have to crawl out of my skin. That is so significant. And if we have enough of those shifts, we begin to regulate our nervous system. So um, just want, don't want to undermine any shift at all because they're all huge. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that and um, specifying that because that is it is important. It's it's the little it's the little steps that we take, the little shifts that we experience every day that have the compounding effect that yield the biggest results over time. Absolutely, so beautifully said. So, do you have any? other message or any other advice or information that you would want to share with anyone listening who might be stuck, um, whether it's emotionally, physically, psychologically, um, that we haven't already covered today? I guess I just maybe want to say this, um, that, and just to norm humanize our experience. Um, there's probably people listening who feel perhaps broken 
or so alone in their experience. I know I spent mo the majority of my life feeling so alone, like I was the only one having this experience or like there was something innately wrong with me. And I want to remind everyone listening that every single human and every mammal, everyone um, has experienced their sympathetic nervous system. So if you're finding yourself stuck there, I want you to know that my nervous system knows that place and I've been there too and so has everyone else. Or if you're stuck in your dorsal vagal complex, that state of shutdown, I want you to know my system really knows that one and everyone else's does too. And, and that it is so very human to have these experiences. And again, I think I mentioned this before, but if you have had the capacity to stay actively self-protected for perhaps decades, I sure did. That is, that is a feat in and of itself. And if you've been able to do that in such an intricate way, then you most certainly have the capacity and ability to come into regulation. We just have to slowly show, not tell our systems that we're safe. Um, and that's what it means to come home to an embodied experience of ourselves. Mm, I love it. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Where can people uh, follow you or find you and learn more about you if they're drawn to everything we're talking about today? Sure. Well, um, you can go to my website, sarahbaldwincoaching.com, and it's Sarah with an H, or you can find me on Instagram at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, B Coaching, B like the letter B Coaching. And I do um, weekly IG video, TV videos, um, and, and try to do almost daily teachings in my stories to try to make this work as um, accessible to everybody as possible. Yes. Yeah, you, get, you put out tons of awesome content. And I'll, I'll put that information also in the show notes. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me here with you today. It was so nice. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. <laughs> thank Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. Wow, you guys. So are you as blown away as I am today? Doesn't she have a beautiful way of understanding and explaining us or what? <laughs> yeah. Follow Sarah on Instagram for sure. And hey, you guys, if there's anyone out there who has a testimonial and you would be willing to share it on this podcast to help inspire hope for others on their healing journey, I would love to hear from you. Email me or DM me and reach out any way you can so that we can share your story and make a difference for somebody else too. And that is a wrap for today. So until next time, make this week great. I'm your host, Chasmith.